around. Amen. How about that? Now, the reason I did that is because I wanted you to be aware of that, and I gave that four minutes and 16 seconds of my preaching time. So that's important to me that you see that, okay? Let's look at 1 Corinthians, and let's go to chapter 1. Now, Paul spent more time in this church than any other place. Paul was there on his second missionary journey. He established this church. So these people Paul knew, these were Gentile believers. These were people that had been saved for about five years. And there's so much about this church. Paul talks about this church that's there in Corinth. And this town, I want you, some of the things that I'm going to give you aren't there. But now in, in my notes, you can get every bit of what you just heard and everything is written out for you. So I want, I want you to see that. Let's look at this here today. Let's just go through this first part, and this first part, as you'll see, verses 1 through 9, is really just an introduction, and what Paul is doing, and if you've ever had to manage people, you'll know this, uh, when you bring them in for an evaluation, what, what you do is you tell them what's good first, and then you lay out the things where they need to work on, and then, you know, then you give them a little encouragement on the way out the door, and you hope they respond to that, and so that's kind of what Paul does, and so here he comes. And the first message, when we get to the message part of this, is called Lives Worthy of the Call. Paul reminds them of how good God has been to them. Now remember, this is a city, Corinth, that has 3, 4 million people in it. We're talking about a place the size of Atlanta during this day. In A.D. 33 is about the time Paul gets saved, and this letter was written around A.D. 55. So there is a lot of people here. And this is the most gifted. You're going to see this in the scripture. Paul says this church is one of the most gifted churches he'd ever been in. But it was one of the most immoral. And so you're going to say, well, my goodness, uh, well, how could they have been so gifted? And, and Paul thought this church was so good. Well, I want, I want to tell you, you've got to remember the culture of the day. And many of these Gentile Christians have been saved out of paganism. And so they began to bring, until they grew and knew better, they began to bring those pagan activities into the church. And so why, that's why this is so important. So now, here is the encouraging part of this where Paul says, hey, here's the problems in your church, but first I want to remind you uh, how good you folks are and how God has blessed you. And I want to encourage you to live a life worthy of the call. So now watch, let's verse 1, Paul called Notice how many times the word call is used. He says, Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother, to God's church at Corinth. I'm going to have a lot to say about that. To those who are sanctified. So these people have been called. They've been sanctified in Christ. Called as saints. They're saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace. They had received grace and peace. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm grateful that you're saved. And then he says that by him you were enriched in everything. This is a group of people that had been enriched in all spiritual things. Paul's talking about spiritual stuff. Kind of sounds like the church in America, doesn't it? We have more than any other Christians in all of the world, yet we're the most immoral. And so then he says, you've been blessed 
in all speech. You've been blessed in all knowledge. And in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. We're not talking about people who don't know the Lord. We're talking about folks who do know Jesus. And he says, it was confirmed in you. And look at this, verse 7, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can some, would anybody in the room know what that means? What, what? That you eagerly wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is anybody, why did y'all get so excited a while ago while we were singing and all that? Because you're waiting on Jesus to come. Sanford's always reminding us, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And I want to tell you right now, among God's people, there's an urgency to the coming of Christ right now. People everywhere are saying, I believe Jesus is coming, I believe Jesus is coming. And by the way, don't you think that if he were coming, the hearts of his people on this planet right now would sense something before it happened? I'm sensing it in my spirit, I really am. And he says, the revelation of Jesus. He will also strengthen you to the end. These people are blessed so that you will be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who you were called by him. There's our word again, called, into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's why I've called this, this first part, lives worthy of the call. Can you see in your heart what God had, had done for this church in Corinth? I mean, this is some serious business. The Lord had really laid upon them some some great blessings from the Lord. And this, here's how we got to this point. Actually, in the first and second chapter, Paul talks about a previous letter. So there was actually a letter that was written to the Corinthians, and they didn't respond to it very well. We don't have that letter. It's been lost. And so the next letter that was written was 1 Corinthians, which really actually is the second letter that was written to them. They didn't really respond to that very well either. And there's a third letter that's also lost called the severe letter. Paul smoked them over pretty good. He found out that they, there were people that were sinful in the church that didn't respond to that very well. So there was a severe letter. And then the fourth letter that was written is 2 Corinthians. So actually there's two letters that have been lost and two that are here for us. Boy, I tell you what, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome? If somebody digging around over in Corinth somewhere found the severe letter, man, I'd love to know because these two right there we have are smoking. I wonder what the severe letter would be like. I wonder what the, what's in the previous letter. It would be so awesome to do that. And so what you saw on the video, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take those sections, those five or six sections, as we talked about the first four chapters about divisions. That's where we're going next. And Paul says, here's all the problems. And we're going to, Pastor, as I preach... I'm going to begin to unpack those problems. And here's what Paul says. Here's how you fix those problems. Now, that's what an epistle is. An epistle is just a letter, and Paul is writing to these folks, and he's saying, hey, here's the problem, and here's the solution under the Lord. And so as we go through, uh, in your introduction is also the outline that I'm going to follow. We're just going to simply go through there. And if you don't know what expository preaching is, if you don't know uh, what pastor's doing, what I'm doing, we, I call it it's expository preaching. I'm going, to take, I'm going to take it in context. We're going to take the history that's involved with it. And I'm going to pick a book. And so, see, I can't skip anything. So what we're going to be doing is going word by word, line by line, phrase by phrase. So wherever I finish this week, we're going to pick up next week. And people will come in, and the Holy Spirit's going to convict them, and they're going to say, Pastor, you were picking on me. And I'm going to say, no, it was not. That's where we left off last week, and here's where we are this week. Y'all all right? 
And so I was like, no, this has already been done. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, these messages were done 10 years ago, and I'm preaching them again. And I've reworked them and put new illustrations. I made it fresh just for you. And then I learned so much more while I was doing it. And so that's why I say to you, we're going to get to chapters 12, 13, and 14 where Paul talks about spiritual gifts. It's going to be very difficult on some people because everybody has their ideas of what spiritual gifts are all about and speaking in tongues and all of that stuff. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to look at what the Word of God says. Amen? And so here we, so here we go. So now look, lives worthy of the call. We have the same problem in the New Testament. I know preachers from the past have done the same thing. But today, Christian people who are saved, bought by the blood, redeemed, uh, they've not taken their calling seriously. Three or four times Paul uses the word for calling. Now, I tell you, many of you have not taken your, your calling from the Lord as serious. So lives worthy of the call. Can I ask you a question? Are you living a life this morning worthy of the call of Jesus Christ? That's what Paul was saying to them. The, the re- after we get through these first nine verses, the rest of it's about problems. But look at what Paul packed in these first nine verses. He said, this is one of the most amazing churches. God has blessed you so much. The body of Christ today is an online church. We think we can do business online. I want to tell you, you can't do business online. We survived a little bit online, but we still met right here. And here's what we need. We need iron sharpens iron. I need to look you in the eye. I need to see your spiritual gifts working. You need to know that my spiritual gifts are working. You see, we need to rub shoulders together. We need to be together in the house of God so that we can grow as Christians. I need people to hold me accountable. I need the fences that God puts around my body to be in the house of the Lord. I need to make sure that my life is holding up in holiness in order to serve Jesus in the body of Christ. I need to know that my calling is being fulfilled in this place. And folks, as last time I checked, and you're going, you're going to see, I'm going to show you some things about the, the church here in just a second that I hope will just blow your mind. Then you're going to understand why we're here as a church. I've had people ask me before, well, why should I join a church? And I'm like, do you have three days? Sit down. Well, we're going to deal with some of that this morning. He says, Paul begins this letter to this awesome, gifted church. He recognizes that they do have a lot of problems. This is a carnal church, even with all the spiritual gifts that they have. And it sounds, to me, it sounds just like America. You know, listen, and I don't want you to stop doing this because there's some of us that are actually doing a ton of ministry. But people today will write me a check in a heartbeat. How much you need, Brother Jerry? Let's get that done. They won't come do it, but they'll pay for you to do it. And and thank the Lord that they will pay for us to do it because we will do it. Amen? We're going to do the very best that we can. Notice this word for call. Paul used this word called. It means uh, this word and all the words that are associated with this word for called are are words uh, like, I want you to just look at all the things that Paul says around this. He uses the term called. He uses the word God's will, sanctified. He uses the word Lord. That's a word you don't hear very often. Did you know he's your Lord? If you believe in Jesus, say amen. If you said amen, he's your Lord. That means he has rule and reign in your life. Grace, peace. Paul used the word enriched. He used the word confirmed. He used the word you don't lack anything. Can you imagine not a church that doesn't lack in any spiritual gift? I mean, 
I've had to rearrange all the Sunday school classes just about to get somebody to teach a young married class. I'll tell you, that's an embarrassment. Somebody in here ought to step up and think that the young couples in this church are important enough to be led in the ways of God. We're going to get that class if I have to teach it myself, but I've got somebody that's going to do it. They're willing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And here's the message to 1 Corinthians that Paul has for them. All the problems of the church can be solved when the, when the members submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's your theme statement right there. We don't have any problems at Wood Lake or anywhere else that we can't fix if we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sanford sums that up by saying it's a hard issue, and it is a hard issue. Y'all all right? Paul uses words like eagerly wait. We're waiting on Jesus to come. That's why I want to act right. That's why I want to serve. That's why I want to be busy when he comes. Paul says, even that, God will strengthen you to the end. He says, you'll be blameless when he comes to get you. Faithful, fellowship. I want to tell you, I love Wednesday nights. Some of you are missing the time of your life. On Wednesday night when we get done, I can't even get home because people won't leave the building. We just hang out and have fellowship. We enjoy one another. It's just a good time. To be together, we have a, a short meal, and there's prayer time, and then we just hang out and cut up. It's just a wonderful time. The kids are all over the place, and I mean all over the place. And we just love on each other and have such a great time. What a blessing. But now I want to share this scripture with you that goes with this. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Now listen very carefully. This. As a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Are you living a life worthy of the calling that you receive? Well, what is my calling, Brother Jerry? Well, man, let me just tell you right here. Let me just read a couple of passages to you. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. You got saved. Maybe, maybe you've never been told you don't have a choice. You have been called as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. You've been called to serve. He says, I... I want to be worthy. The word worthy means of a godly sort, weighty, worth, uh, it's worth in one's deeds. That's what it means. Now, I want to tell you right, I want to tell you right now, I love golf, I love football, I love sports. But when you see a man hold up that Super Bowl trophy, that's nothing. They kill themselves, they lift weights all their life, they watch what they eat, they do all these things, and that little trophy is going to go away. You win the U.S. Open, you can win the Masters, you can win whatever you want to. You can accomplish any and climb every hill that you want to. But if it's not spiritual, it's going away and it amounts to nothing. I want to live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if anybody knows my name, if I'm rich, or I ever have Ph.D. attached to my name. When Jesus Christ comes, will I be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? That has worth in it. If it doesn't have eternal worth to it, you're just wasting your life. People have all these idols and all these people they look up to. I'll tell you, it's just a man. It's just a woman. It's just a singer. A life worthy of the call. He says to walk. The word for walk here is in a vocation. To walk in a calling. I want to live my life for Christ. And when he comes to get me, it will, it will matter. It will mean something. Here's the message today. Some folks forgot that they were called and that they're prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your calling is to be occupied with the business of the Lord. Our calling 
is a blessing, not a curse. When you talk to people about their service for the king, they talk about it like it's a curse on their life. The context of this book is the essence of this book rests in Paul's effort to teach these Christians that are in this pagan city that is surrounded by immorality that they have to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and display his glory. That's what Paul's getting at. Paul uses these phrases. He, he, he takes two techniques. Paul begins to praise them and give thanksgiving for them, and then he talks to them about their calling and their standing. Now, I want to tell you, you've been called by God, and you have your standing in Jesus Christ. You're as solid as a rock. You've been confirmed in the Lord. How in the world are you going to stand before him one day? And he says, listen, you never did anything significant in your life for the kingdom. You came in, you went out, you just kind of played with church, you just kind of thought about God in your life. Listen, can I ask you this? Have you, if you've just made a mess of your life, can I ask you this? Aren't you tired of making a mess of your life? Aren't you tired of thinking that you know better than what God knows? When I got saved, the first thing that happened is God changed the course the direction of my life. You know, my father was controlling my life. My father says, no, you're going to be a welder. You're going to be a pipe fitter. You're going to go do this. And my dad meant well. He didn't mean anything by it. He wanted me to make good money and to be able to take care of my family. And then when I got saved and God said, nope, you're not going to do that. Now you're going to go to college. And then you're going to go to seminary. And you're going to be, you're going to be my man. And I'm going to tell you what you do with your life from then on. Whole life flipped upside down. But see, I got on the track with the Lord. And can I say, listen, I was in the trade. I was in the union. I was miserable because I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. I'd rather do this than eat, and that's a big statement. <laughs> Paul says, I'm called. The Greek word there is kletos. The noun kletos is used in the New Testament to refer to the origin, the nature and the destiny of a calling which is heavenly. When Paul says you are called to this and you should live a life worthy of the call, Paul says this is a heavenly calling. I consider this the best calling. This is the most special, the grandest, the glorious, the most awesome calling that a man could ever have. Listen, you say, Brother Jerry, what about me? You, listen, it's especially used of the invitation to a man or woman for salvation. Before you can have the calling of God, you have to have the calling to salvation. It, it, this is the same word that's used in verse 26 of this chapter, which speaks of salvation. Listen, listen in verse chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. See, Paul's referring, to what were you when you were called? Let me help you with that. You were lost. You were without Christ. You were separated from God. And something that every many preachers I know today are afraid to say, you're on your way to hell. But Jesus Christ, through his grace and his love and his mercy, sought you out and wanted to give you this calling. Not, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential, influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Can I say to you that that is so true in my life? I have no nobility in my, my, my life. I wasn't a big shot. I was actually a nobody. I was just a dumb plumber. And the Lord says, son, I'm going to give you the opportunity to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we began this journey some 40 years ago, and here we are today. The call of God comes from above. 
It's the, the origin of any call comes from above that's worthy to have. The call of God is a grand and glorious invitation to enjoy the benefits of the life of Christ. That's what Paul is saying to these people. He's saying, you're called, you're sanctified, you've been given grace, you've been given uh, peace. Paul says, I'm thankful for you. God has enriched you in speech and in knowledge. He says, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord from heaven. And he's going to strengthen you while you wait for him. I mean, those are some good qualities. Can I ask you in Jesus' name this morning? Are those things worthy to live a calling for God that's holy, righteous, dedicated, and filled with passion? Do you want to do that? We've been apathetic and silly and and foolish long enough to stand up and be the people of God and receive the calling that he's given us. I was a nothing, and the beauty of it is I'm still a nothing, but he's everything. I had one of them spells in the car yesterday, and Mark Hall's song came on, and his song, he said, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody that saved my soul, and I just got to singing in the car, and I just had a great time. Paul reminds them of all that God had done for them. The call of God consists not only of a call to salvation, but also a call to a specific task in the kingdom of God. You need something to do? I'll tell you what. Alexander the Great sat down when he was 33 years old and cried because he didn't have anything else to conquer. Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy cried too because he was in jail and and. The, the work of the ministry was so great, he didn't have anybody to pass it on to. There's always something to do in the kingdom. It is beautiful, the call. Paul was literally this call to the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. An apostle was one who had a message. An apostle is one who was commissioned. Uh, he had a message, and he was sent. And you and I have the same uh, ambassadorship. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know verse 17 well, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You know that, but let's keep going. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself, to Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, Brother G, I don't know what to do. He's given you a ministry. I had someone tell me one time, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't have one. I said, that's not biblical. The Lord's given you a a spiritual gift in order for you to do the work of Christ. She says, I I just don't know what it is. I said, he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. You and I, not of noble birth, who are nobodies, who are weak, who are not strong, has been given the most powerful message on the planet to change people's lives for eternity. It's a ministry of reconciliation. You reconcile men to God. What a great ministry. And that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are the ambassadors of Christ. Now, ambassadors are important people, and you have been given that ministry. So here's the will of God. Bring it with passion. And who does this? Sosthenes writes all this down. Listen, here's a man that you may not even have known that. Paul probably had some type of terrible arthritis or 
We know he had some kind of infection at times in his eyes. He may not even have been able to write, but here he has an amanuensis for him. God's given it. Wouldn't you like to be Sosthenes knowing that as the Apostle Paul gives this to you, the inspired word of God is coming from your pen. In verse number 2, the church of God in Corinth, Paul writes to a church. A church? Why does he write to a church? Well, let me just take a moment to tell you why. <laughs> See, a lot of people today are worried about the convention. Everybody's worried about the Southern Baptist Convention, the Georgia Baptist Convention, and the Methodist Convention, and the North Georgia Conference, and all of that stuff. Well, I want to tell you something. If every convention in this country goes away, this church will be right here. And what's wrong with the conventions out there today? And you don't know what's wrong with the Southern Baptist Convention? They think that they, they, we exist because of them. I had somebody tell me one time, well, when this recreation ministry in this church goes downhill, this church will go away. I said, I beg your pardon. If the gym goes away, church will be there. You see, you can't... You, <laughs> you get the cart before the horse. You see, the convention that the SBC forgot, we're supporting them. They're supposed to support us, but they're not supporting us. And as long as they're woke and they're immoral and bringing in the culture, they're not getting our money. We'll support our own missionaries right here. You see, because the church does her job. No matter what the conventions do, no matter what politics does, no matter what anybody else does, we're called, Paul wrote this epistle to the church, not a convention. Y'all all right? The word is the ecclesia. And people say, oh, this is the folks, this ek out of, ecclesia to call. We're the called out people. We're the people that were called out of the world into relationships with God. But this word goes so much deeper. The word means assembly. It's the people that come together. The word refers to a gathering of people. Literally at times the word riot is, is the word ecclesia is used to describe a riot. Now, that's a negative use of the word ecclesia. It's not the church, but Paul used that term of an assembly, a gathering of people who come together to fulfill the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now let me show you something. A while ago, we talked about the wisdom, his intent. Listen very carefully. Listen. Boy, listen, this is good right here. This is so good. This is one of those questions that I had in my mind for 25 years. And while I was preparing this, this is one of those new things that I added to this. I ought to have your attention by now, right here. I ought to have your attention. It's one of those things I, I never really understood. And then while I was in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it got clear. Now watch. Here's back in Ephesians chapter 3. What's the church for, Brother Jerry? Watch this. Paul says, I became a servant. Remember what a video a while ago? We're servants. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. You see, this is not, it's not a broke leg the Lord gave us. It's the privilege to serve the church. I want to be, I want to be worthy of the calling through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I've talked to a hundred people this week off and on about different things in the Bible, the unsearchable, different topics every time. 
and to watch and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Paul says it's a mystery. He deals with that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Paul says the mystery of the plan of God, the wisdom of God, and the church of God. He says this is a mystery which for ages he kept hidden in God who created all things. Now watch. His intent, what does that mean? It means he's fixing to tell you what the intent of the church is. He's fixing, Paul, that's a good southern term for you, right? It's in the Bible. Paul said, I'm fixing to teach you something. That's what the Greek word intent means. He says, the intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hold on a minute. And I said, that's it? I thought, you know, we would have some type of alliteration that the church's job is preaching, fellowship, blah, blah, blah. We go right down the list. Everybody's got their ideas. See, here's the problem with the culture and with us in the church. We don't know what the intent of the church is. See, I didn't understand that. Our intent is to display the manifold wisdom of God. And then I always thought to myself, Lord, that's it? Just to, We want everybody to see how smart you are? Is that, is that what this means? That's not what that means. But you see, if you get over into chapter 2, this, this is beautiful. Look in verse number 6 of chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me teach you something right here. And I hadn't even gotten here yet. Here's the intent of the church, that we live lives worthy of the calling. And what is our calling? To make known the manifold wisdom of God. What is the manifold wisdom of God? Watch this, 2 Corinthians 2, 6, 1 Corinthians 2.6. However, Paul has just gotten through talking about man's wisdom. And he said man's wisdom is just ridiculous. And then he talks about God's wisdom and that the plan of salvation reveals God's wisdom like nothing else in the universe. So he says, however, we do speak a, a word of wisdom among the mature. See, if you're saved, you're mature in your faith, whether you know it or not, because God's revealed the intent of his manifold wisdom to you. Wow. And then he says this, But not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. Wow. So God, you know what he's talking about? The plan of salvation. And then he says, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye did not see and ear did not hear and what never entered into the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. Now God has, watch, now God has revealed these things to us by his spirit, for the spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received the spirit, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. He's saying clearly here that man's wisdom is no good and it leads to nothing 
But in Christ, he has revealed the manifold wisdom of God to you in salvation. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the job and the intent of the church, for a little, Paul's going to say, the gospel was confirmed in you. I saw it in you. I saw something happen to you when you met Jesus. That's the manifold wisdom of God being revealed. Now, if, that ain't, if that's not good, I'll give you your money back this morning, all right? Listen, listen. I saw somebody in the store. I, was with, I got to say that I was with my girlfriend at the time. I wasn't married. I had my girlfriend with me. I saw this girl I used to date when I was lost across the room. Here she come running. I thought, oh, no, here we go. My girlfriend got close to me. She was like, what's that coming this way? And I was like, she said, I heard about you. They told me you got religion. I had to see it myself. Word got out. Party boy found Jesus. Y'all all right? Party boy found Jesus. I had to see this for myself. I can't believe it. Is it true? I said, yes, it's true. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. See, when you get saved and you start serving Jesus, people here, you know I was on the job. Y'all know how people talk and act on a construction site? Whew. Man, calm down. There's mechanics in here. Cut that out. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you embarrass the mechanics the way you're talking, son. Listen. People find out something happened to you. They want to know what happened to you, man. I got saved when I was on the construction site. I got I, when I went back. I was working on construction site. I went from doing the things I was doing and saying the things I was saying. I started wearing a, uh, my hard hat had Jesus saves on it. You got guts enough to do that? Let me tell you, you got guts enough to do that when you've been the party boy. I want to tell you something happened to you when that when something happened to you when that goes on. Paul says, the intent, the intent. Paul has told us the purpose of the church and that God's purpose is eternal. Paul is writing to those who are called, sanctified, they're holy, and a part of the assembly of believers. Now, you may not realize it, but I just dropped a theological bomb on you. You see, because there are people who've forgotten or even didn't even know they have a calling. And they are supposedly of lives worthy of that calling. And God, help me. Please, Lord, help me to do that. The question that needs to be asked is, is if our purpose for being the assembly of the church, the ecclesia, is what God actually intended. If God's plan for the church, is it our desire? Is it what we want to do? Most people don't even know what the church is for. Many people actually think the church is a benevolent ministry. You just go by there and the church will feed you or pay your bills or whatever like that. I believe the Word of God just told us that the intent of the church was to display the manifold wisdom of God, which is the plan of salvation. Notice what Paul says of this, and then we're going to start in verse 4 next week. Paul says that they're sanctified. The verb is a passive verb, which means that somebody had to do that. They couldn't do it themselves. God sanctified them. 
It's a perfect tense verb, which means that it's done now, forever, completed. You can't do it again. So when you come to know Jesus Christ, you get saved, you get sanctified. You're a part of the family. You're sealed. You couldn't do it. God had to do it. And then it's a participle, which means that it keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going. And then Paul tells us that, that when Jesus comes, you'll be found blameless in him. Now, we'll deal with the rest of these characteristics, but think about this all all week long. Am I living a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ? And this is how it works out in our life. God is so good. Uh, We'll deal with grace. We'll deal with peace. Y'all don't know this, but I could preach till 4 o'clock this afternoon right here. But I know y'all smell the chili. So see there, there's one of them right there. <laughs> Francis of Assisi said this, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me show love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much as seek to be consoled, but to console. To be understood as to understand, to be loved, but as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. I want to beg you in the name of Jesus Christ this morning to give your life to Christ. You say, Pastor, would you beg? Absolutely. You see, we have to give up. We have to, we literally have to let people trample on us. And it's okay. Luther used to tell this beautiful, see, I'd do anything if you would come to Christ outside of compromise the message or do silliness. I'd do anything if you're here this morning. If if you've been piddling around and you just need to, you need to get busy, come on. You can join, come join, be a part of Wood Lake. I'm right here for it. That's why this is the invitation time. But more so than anything, I would, I would implore you with every ounce of my passion to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You'll never regret it. It'll be the greatest decision that you ever made. And I'm here to help you do that. I'm even here to help you do that. I, I would... Luther, Luther used to give this illustration. These, this big log going across a, a river, a deep stream, raging water underneath. And two little goats came to the middle. They came to an impasse. Well, somebody's got to give. Some of you are at that impasse right now. If they fight, they're both going to fall in the water. Can't back up. Can't turn around. What are they going to do? One little goat thought to himself, after a little brief parlay, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He knelt down, laid flat out on the log, and he let the other little goat walk over the top of him. And then he popped up, and he walked on, and both goats were saved. I'm going to tell you right now, if if you'll just, whatever it takes, just lay down, humble yourself down, and you'll be safe. Give your life to Christ today. 
we prayed at the beginning. When the pastor prayed at the beginning of the service, I said, Lord, I made a mess of my life. Would you, would you take my life now? I'm tired of controlling it. I don't want to control anymore. I want to submit to you and give you my life. Do you know what that is? That's salvation. You, you think, oh, that's, that church stuff, that's oh, ridiculous. I don't want a part of that. Man, I love these people right here. They're my family. I love what we do. You see, you're looking at it from the wrong side. You've got to cross the line. You got all these things in front of you. You need to just lay down on the log, let that stuff go over the top, and then you come on to safety. Amen? Don't worry about the questions you got to get answered and all that stuff. I've known Jesus for 40 years. I still got questions. Some of them got answered this week. It was pretty cool. But some of them may not get answered till I get to heaven. But I'm not going to miss heaven because I got questions. Amen? Lord Jesus, this is your moment. It's your time. Would you please let your spirit work in spite of the frailties of a human preacher? We love you, Father. And I ask if there's one person in this room that doesn't know you, they would give up and receive you as their Savior. We have folks that have been visiting that may want to join. We have people that may want to pray at the altar. We have folks that may just want a word of encouragement through a quick prayer. I pray that you allow them to come and receive your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? As our team, musicians play, would you just come? Pastor's here for you.